It's Essential Dynamics, the podcast that imagines a perspective on how to live and how to work. Uh, I'm Reed McCollum, your very handsome host, here with my good friend and guru indeed, Mr. Derek Hudson. Derek, how are you? Reed, I'm really excited today. Why is that? I'm, I'm excited because of our guest, Kristen Cox. Tell me about her. Well, I met uh, Kristen... I'm going to say three years ago, she hosted a conference uh, that that was just fantastic. And I'm not, I'm not going to talk about what I learned there because Kristen's going to explain a lot of stuff to us. Uh, I just say that she is the clearest communicator for the theory of constraints that, uh, that I've met. And constraints is one of the parts of essential dynamics. So I've been trying to get her on the show for a long time and she's really busy and important, but She's joined us today, and we're excited to have a look into, into her life and her experience and her wisdom. Well, so, Kristen Cox, welcome. Thanks for having me, and I'm a big Derek fan and love his framework, so it's going to be fun to talk oh. about it today and learn from each other. Well, that's so, great. So, Kristen, we do an introduction, except that um, I think what I want to start with is, like we often do, the quest. Hmm. And um, so essential dynamics, we always, you know, frame things up in the term of terms of this, you know, epic, epic challenges, epic struggle. And, you know, I find that that people's lives, you know, often, you know, are the quest. And the other thing about the quest that I've come to come to know is that it's one thing to set out on a quest of our own choosing. But a lot of times there comes a call and we get uh, we get pulled onto a quest that we didn't necessarily set out to do. Mm -hmm. uh, so in that framework, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to be one of the clearest communicators of um, the theory of constraints. Uh, to some degree, desperation. You know, it's interesting when you're on your quest, sometimes you don't see it clearly and you don't know that you're even on that road until you look back. And then it seems to all come together and make sense. And I, I, I can see that now in my life. I'm not sure I could see that, you know, 20 years ago. So just my personal lesson to self is that even when people don't feel like they're on their quest and we always question what's our passion or our purpose, you know, be patient because it will, I think, reveal itself. But my, my quest started many years ago when I started to go blind at about 12. It was very slow progression and lost a lot of my uh, teens and 20s. But you know, there's a lot to that story and it's all good. Now I came out on the other side. Um, great. But in that process, there was a, a lot of rethinking and reshaping of how I saw the world literally and figuratively and essentially really needed to change my mindset. And for a while, the mindset was not in a great place. Uh, wasn't, didn't think I could work or hold down a job. Didn't really have any skills at this time. I couldn't I didn't know Braille. I taught myself Braille in my 20s when my first son was born, so I could read to him. But in college and stuff, I had no Braille, but I couldn't see print anymore. And really just thought, how, how do I function in this world that's designed for people who can see? And was on Social Security Disability Income, which here in the U.S. is, you know, a, a basically a, a government welfare for people who are disabled. I was glad to have the safety network when I had it. Um, but certainly didn't love living on that. It was like 300 and something a month. But also experienced how overwhelming the bureaucracy was. Uh, all the great intentions from the strategic level never seemed to penetrate down 
to where it really matters uh, to the customer. So that I think has shaped a lot of my quest, which is to make organizations work for the people they serve. So for you, that started as a recipient of the services. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I take it that you've never lost the ability to put yourself in that position. You know, I hope not. You know, I've ran some nonprofits, worked in the federal government. I've worked for three governors now and you know, now up the business school at the university. So I hope not. I hope for me, you know, we can get so lost in all of the busyness and all the things we think we should do and all the emails and the new strategic reports and all that stuff. But, you know, I think it becomes much simpler when we just get back to who are we serving and what's that person's problem? How, how are we actually helping that person? And that can, can become a really important anchor when I feel, when the system feels very noisy or just so much going on, it's hard to see through the clutter. Just anchoring ourselves into these very simple foundational concepts can be, I think, a very powerful force for good. It has, it keeps me anchored when I can get off, you know, which all of us can do that. So it's been a, a big deal. And there was great people in my life, um, you know, but I had this one, I had a few amazing mentors and one mentor, Dr. Jordan was so great. And he, he basically said that the biggest obstacle of blindness isn't blindness, but it's what we believe about it. And that also has shaped that our organizations are just byproducts of how we think. Uh, we have an idea and it turns itself into a policy or a measure or a practice or something. And so if we're not serving the people the way they deserve it to be served, including taxpayers and the end customer, shareholders, whoever that is, we just need to think differently. Um, it's not about adding a new solution. It starts with redefining the problem. And you know, that has been so important to me about coming back to how do we think? What's the mindset? What do we believe? Usually what we believe is um, very implicit. And I think part of the work that you know, Derek, you and I will do is trying to make the implicit explicit to get very clear on what people are thinking and are those things delivering those thoughts, those patterns of behavior delivering what we really want to see for people? I want to ask, if I may, yes. how you jumped your hurdles. How did you how did you uh, get through college? If you had those uh, constraints of not knowing Braille then, and uh, a challenge of picking a, a career for yourself. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, again, looking back, it seems clear, but at the time it was messy. It was certainly not always easy. Um, But I I do think it's really important to always give more power to the goals than power to the obstacles. I think that's just a way of life. And so um, I use my memory a lot. Um, I would have to memorize a lot of things. Note, I couldn't take notes because I couldn't read my handwriting. So learning to listen, learning to use new auditory skills. I actually went on a a mission for my church down to Brazil. And that's when I lost a lot of vision and had to learn pretty quickly how to adapt just through auditory learning and not seeing anymore. But I had really duct taped stuff for a long time. And there's even a time when I felt like maybe I'm not disciplined enough or I'm not working hard enough because I was so slow and still trying to use magnifying glasses at one point to, you know, see one letter at a time. Um, it was kind of hard on myself until I really understood that I didn't needed to ask a different question. It wasn't about um, how could I keep doing things using my site? It's how could I do things not using my site? 
And I go back to, you know, we have to always redefine the question, um, redefine the problem, think differently about the problem. When we do that, we actually open up a whole new set of opportunities. And so I, I struggled for a bit and, but came back from my mission, really feeling more confident in my auditory, but it wasn't easy. I, uh, you know, struggled still, fell in a manhole and, um, ended up going to this amazing five month, very intensive training program where you wear sleep shades all day, every day to really, you know, use power saws and build furniture and these crazy, what people would see crazy for me now, not crazy, um, skills that would just teach us to not just learn the skills of blindness, but to think differently. And that was hugely transformative, uh, gift in my life. You know, those hey, five minutes. Hey, Kristen, I'm just, uh, on zoom here, counting your fingers. You <laughs> still have them all. So. I'll send. Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, it's that's, just a different question. Can you do things yeah. without seeing? Yeah. yeah. And, and isn't that, you know, kind of fundamentally always the question that we should be asking is, uh, first, what are we trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. And maybe we have to ask that question a bunch of times till we really get it solid. And then, then we can talk about how we can do it. And most of the time we're trying to tweak the process that we've set up that yeah. maybe doesn't even get to the right question. Well, you think, you know, again, you know, my purpose formed to some degree by the lessons I learned going blind, but you know, if to your point, Derek, which is spot on goal, problem, then solution, we usually jump to solution. So if the goal for a blind person is to travel independently, um, that's helpful. But usually what a lot of people who are sighted will do is, especially back decades ago, would start with just jumping to the obvious, what they thought the obvious problem was, is lack of sight. So we just need to take care of blind people. We need to take their elbow and guide them places and do these things they call the route method, count how many steps. But when you ask a different question, say, I want to travel independently and then ask, how can I do that? What's the problem that's blocking me? You're like, Oh wait, I need to learn skills of cane travel. I can listen to my environment. I can hear auditory cues and when to cross the street. It just really opens it up when you know your goal and you think differently about the problem. Uh, I think that's just the basis of all good things in the world. What are we trying to accomplish and what's the right problem to solve? For someone who is possibly struggling with their own disability or a newfound, uh, a newly diagnosed or a problem that they think is progressive, going to get progressively worse, what would you say to them? How would um, you encourage them? Yeah. So a couple things. One, you know, my disability is obvious. I use a cane and, it's obvious, but I think everyone has their cross to carry. Uh, some people have emotional challenges, financial divorce, um, you know, insecurities. We all struggle with our own insecurities. Are we good enough? All those things that I think we're all haunted with our own demons. So one is, you know, I, I don't see myself as fundamentally different because I think everyone has their, their journey, their quest, which I think is really important to acknowledge that. Um, I think the other thing for me is, is accepting that life just doesn't go on our terms that what we think life should look like is just crazy because we have so little control over how life is very little control. And if we can, you know, I'm, it's a, a dichotomy because on one hand, I'm very big about going after big goals, making the organizations work. But on the other hand, I'm very much about accepting what I can't control to focus on the controllables. And so there's things in our lives we can't control. And so the question for me becomes, what do I learn out of it? Do I create more compassion, more endurance, more patience, more fortitude? Um, you know, what do we learn rather than we spend so much time and energy trying to change things we can't control? 
And then in doing so, we divert our energy and our time on what we can control. And I think that's the gift life has to teach us. Where do we spend our energy on the controllables or controllables or on what we can't control? And I think that's a real secret to happiness. Kristen, thanks for, thanks for sharing that because if we could get better at using all our energy on the things that we can control and that make a difference, Mm -hmm. uh, in my mind, life would be a lot easier for all of us. Yeah, but it's hard. You know, it's, I find it much easier to try to change other people change myself. <laughs> it's much easier to try to change my family and other, but to change myself. And that's, you know, when we talk about changing organizations or your communities or whatever, I don't think you can decouple changing, improving ourselves from that work because I think it's difficult to ask people to do stuff we haven't done ourselves, uh, or at least we're engaged in the work or, you know, we're all a work in process. And so to envision things that don't exist yet, you know, that's hard to change how we approach problems ourselves before we ask other people to do that. That's hard. But I really do think that's where the power is. So. I've been trying to figure out um, as essential develop, essential dynamics is unfolding. I've been trying to figure out where leadership fits into that. And there Mm. did a read and I had a conversation about this on a podcast. Um, And one of the things I found is that there's, on one page, I think I found 14 definitions of leadership, uh, Yeah, which were basically the leader's job is to get the people down the path, <laughs> get yeah. the people down the path to the, to the, to the purpose. Yeah. And so that way, you know, sort of validated our model a little bit, but on the other hand, it, it kind of left us hollow because it sounded manipulative. Mm. Feels manipulative, doesn't it? Trying to change. I just spoke on leadership about a week ago on this topic. And I thought a lot about what you're thinking about because, you know, there's this greatest quote I love. And it says when I was clever or when I was young, I was clever and wanted to change the world. Now I'm older and wiser. I want to change myself. And I I, I think real leadership, Derek, I mean, I'd love your thoughts on this and reads as well is about, um, I can't lead other people. If I can't lead myself, do I have clarity on the problem to solve? Do I have a path? to make that happen? Can I communicate clearly? Can I listen? Um, when the older I get and it's less about me and how many likes I have or how many people follow me or it's, you know, the impact I'm having on the world. If it's just that for me, my intentions get skewed. So leadership for me is very much about right intention and right action, but that. Again, the older I get, the more I feel like it's about self-leadership. It doesn't mean we, as a leader, you have a responsibility. If you're over an organization or whatever, you have a responsibility, but it doesn't mean we have all the answers. I certainly don't. To lead people down a path, I certainly have ideas, um, but I think their ideas need to be part of the conversation. If I think I'm supposed to be in front and everybody I know best and everybody else, you're right. It feels a bit, feels off to me a little bit. So, so I, I totally agree with that. One of the, th- the scariest parts about leadership that I've had to confront probably to this point in my life, not that well, mm-hmm. is the kind of person that you have to be uh, to, to really be a leader, the kind of a leader in terms of the kind of people, you know, would follow in their good judgment. Mm-hmm. 
and um, I, so I think so much of the leadership that we see is not quite to that level <laughs> because the people aren't, you know, and all of us as leaders aren't, aren't quite to that level, but. Could I also interject there, Derek, that look at also the, the people who follow. Sometimes people follow really terrible leaders, but they're so hungry for leadership mm-hmm. that they, uh, that they'll take that road, even though it, there are better ways. Uh, I can think of examples, that I, but it's not my show. It's yours. So uh, I'll save that for my podcast. But, but right now, I think that's a, a, such a great point because I love one of my favorite books is Self-Reliance by Ralph Waldo Emerson. I don't know if you've read it. I read it at least once a year. And he has a quote in there. Uh, well, two quotes. But one is, you know, to believe your own thought that is genius. Oh, wow. And, you know, we're all born, born originals, but we die copies. And I think people who follow blindly without understanding that they have their own choice and self, you know, they have, I think that's part of life is what do you believe? What do you think? Right. And leaders, I mean, I know I've had to take stances and positions on things that maybe others don't agree with me on, but that's part of, I think, leadership. Do you know your own thought? Do you have your own original opinion or idea about it? Not just accepting what everybody else around us. Can we be independent thinkers? I think that's yeah, just huge. Yeah. Matt, I'm sorry, Derek. I was just going to say that's, it's been a long time. I think I was in high school when I read Emerson and I think I read him because okay. I was so in love with uh, Thoreau. Yes. And, uh, right. and when I read Walden and civil Disobe- disobedience, I was not, uh, convinced to go uh live in a in a in a cabin uh that's more my thing yeah that's more that's that's right it is more Derek's thing but uh I was I was terribly impressed and I thought I by the concept of civil disobedience when you have a higher calling to your principles that you hold uh I I found that very moving but as I've lived life it's been some years now since I've read that. And uh, as I've lived life, I found myself straying quite a bit mm-hmm. from those ideals. It's and uh, and now I, I, the only place I lead is my own apartment and I live alone. So, uh, but I have to say, I'm a really good leader for this apartment. <laughs> hey, hey, Kristen, can I go yeah. back? Can I go back to your story for a second? Sure. Um, so you have talked about the value of, you know, examining our mindsets and mm-hmm. getting really clear their thinking. Um, and I think, I think uh, it's one of the reasons that, that you and I kind of act is because, mm-hmm. you know, I think about those things too. Uh, but you also said that in your experience of uh, going blind, you had to learn about thinking about being blind differently. Mm. Um, yeah. One thing I've, you know, I've seen in a bunch of stuff I've read and listened to in the past year or so is that it's not just that we learn from trials. Mm -hmm. It's that we become better from trials than we could be without them. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about um, the very, the very clear way, which you explain concepts now, um, can you separate that from the experience that you've had? And, and the, the you know, Gary, that's really, yeah, I, I don't think I can. I mean, 
to have my formative years so impacted by these mentors and, and you just think of blindness, you would think so, you know, so tragic and so many things about it and yada, yada. But when my mentor said the biggest challenge with blindness is what we believe about blindness, the negative stereotypes and misperceptions we have to sum up what could be a very complex and emotionally, which it is. And I'm not saying there's that, you know, there's the path then that you talk about Derek, you know, the purpose and the path, the path you've still got to figure mm-hmm. out the process for all that. But to be grounded on something as simple as that, that the biggest challenge with blindness is that, that the biggest, that blindness can be reduced to the level of an inconvenience. Oh. To sum up blindness that way is so powerful. And can we have that clarity? And sometimes I feel like I believe complexity is a cop out when we think things are complex and stuff. I think it just means we don't have, and maybe a cop out is too strong. We just don't have clarity. We don't understand it. Simple is hard. Complex is easy. Right. And getting to clear, simple thinking is really hard. But when you find it like in this field of blindness and you find a few nuggets that speak to you and speak to what I think is the truth about a topic um, it shaped me for my whole life. And I hope you know, I was talking to a friend about this the other day, as you get older, you know, for me, the quest, it's part of the quest is, you know, taking in what is good and letting go what is not good. And trials I think can help us be stronger. Um, but they can also, you know, make people bitter or resentful. And so I think there's some action that has to take on us as individuals to make sure the resentment doesn't happen and that we let them do the work on us that they can do. Uh, they let, let them do the work. Um, well, there's a lot, there's a lot more to talk about, Kristen. Um, I'm glad that we're having you back. Yeah. Because this is my, my head spinning and, um, I feel like, uh, clarity of vision is not a problem just with people who have bad eyesight. That is true. I'm so, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you joined us today, Kristen. I'm really glad that we'll see you again and we'll talk more about this because you have a lot to unpack here and it seems directly relevant to essential dynamics as we're understanding them. Thank you for being here. Now, Kristen, when people look for you mm-hmm. uh, or want to want to contact you somehow, how would they do that? I'm very active on LinkedIn. So Kristen Cox, I'm very active there. So they can DM me and follow me and they can go to stopdecoratingthefish.com where we have some information. So those are both great, great avenues. And again, LinkedIn is if you want to DM or contact me that way, I'm very active. Okay. And uh, we'll put you on the, on the uh, website information that we have. Uh, Derek, once again, how do people find you? On the web at DerekHudson.ca. And I am also on LinkedIn. Are you? And uh, follow Kristen closely. So there. Well, that's lovely. I'm glad to hear it. Well, for Bryn Griffiths in the studio, uh, Derek Hudson, Kristen Cox, our guest, guest, I'm Reed McCollum, and thanks for listening, and please consider your quest. 